This is Mission.org. This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Low-code is often equated with citizen development, and citizen development's like citizen soldier. If I'm a citizen soldier, I'm a citizen first, a soldier second. I think the term was initially coined in Napoleonic France. The point is citizen developers have day jobs, but they'll use sometimes low-code, no-code tools to build one-off solutions for themselves to get something done. Sometimes these take on a life of their own. And if they take on a life of their own and expand beyond one person scratching a personal itch, then we have the potential for a single person somewhere out there to become a one-person shadow IT department. And that can get weird. Does everyone actually want to be a developer? Even if technology could allow everyone to be a developer, would that really be a dream scenario or would it be a nightmare? Mike Fitzmaurice, the chief evangelist and VP of North America at WebCon, tells it as he sees it about low-code solutions. Listen in to hear him take down low-code and no-code myths, while also giving a realistic take on the positive promise of these kinds of development tools. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. WebCon is one of the leaders or attempting to be one of the leaders in low code. You have a ton of experience in low code, but for our audience that's not familiar with what WebCon does, can you explain what WebCon does? And let's dive in. Absolutely. And by the way, the world of low code is, it's a very big world. There's room for a lot of leaders. Yes, we are one of them. Yeah. WebCon is an application factory for creating business process solutions. We use low code to do that. So we build low-code applications. Our stuff tends to be focused on business processes. We're really, really good at that. Uh, And we're really good at it when you don't want to create just one application. It's when you want to create a whole curated set of those that help define the way your company works. You've got lots of choices to choose from. We really like the approach and our customers really like the approach we take on this. Yeah. And real quick, just so everyone can, we can clarify for everyone, WebCon is a platform, not a services company, meaning that's right. People use WebCon to build low-code applications. You are absolutely right. We, we have a global network of partners that will help people do that. Some of our customers, some of our clients you create internal centers of excellence and build things themselves. Some of them engage partners to create applications. Those Partners tend to come in to do one job, but have quickly settled into trusted advisor relationships and do ongoing work there. Because when you build one business process, it invariably creates an interest in doing more than one. Yeah. And let's, for our audience who might not be as familiar, if uh, anyone's listening who's not as familiar with low code applications do, or, you know, you said, for example, you build applications for business processes. Mm-hmm. I'd love to define those two things. You know, I, of course, have my definitions of low code. I say, hey, it's a, the whole promise behind low code is that you don't actually have to be an application developer to build an application. And then if we had business process, I would say, hey, a business process is going to be typically, and from my experience, it's more than one application, meaning like, hey, work has to be done in application one. It's completed in application two. So low-code tools or business process automation is like, hey, I want to automate that. Like, you know, I don't want to manually move 
info from A to B. I want this to be done for me. Give us your definition of these categories. Well, your definition, I think, is a pretty good starting point. And I'm, I'm actually, I appreciate very much that one of the first things you want to do is a level set. Because in truth, the term low code is being thrown around like candy right now. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one of the first things to say is that low code development is development. So uh, you could use development skills to create lots and lots and lots of different kinds of applications. Same thing is true of low code. Some environments for building solutions are designed to be so easy, anyone can do it. Others are designed to go for pure power and there's a learning curve, but there's a reward for that learning curve. There's room in this industry for lots of different approaches. What I want to make sure that we we separate, or we realize they, they all work together, but let's separate a couple of concepts. So low code means I can do development without needing to do things where a spelling error can break my application. <laughs> I like that. It literally means I'm using very little code. It typically means, by the way, that I'm dragging and dropping a lot of things. I'm configuring a lot more than I'm coding. So I'm making a lot of choices. And, and how how that's done varies radically depending on uh, which environment you're using. Yeah, I'm making a lot of settings, making a lot of choices. I'm configuring my solution uh, a lot more than I am writing it. And by definition, I'm taking a dependency on somebody's tool of pre-written components or somebody's platform with pre-written components in order to put something together. You know, uh, like Lego bricks or an old timey erector set or something like that. I'm not going to uh, saw my own two by fours into the, uh, the shape I want or build my own bricks. I'm going to assemble things out of uh, components. How much leeway, how many options are presented varies radically, but that that's low code and no code goes so far as to say, no, we don't want anything that resembles text in the configuration of this application. You are drawing and doing nothing else. No code tends to be simpler. It tends to be a little bit easier. It tends to be a lot more restrictive in what it's able to produce. But low-code, no-code probably should be treated as a group, and, and that's perfectly fine. Low-code is just a tool set. Yeah. Low-code is often equated with citizen development. And citizen development, it's like citizen soldier. It means if I'm a citizen soldier, I'm a citizen first, a soldier second. I, I, I do have arms that I can take up when I'm called into duty or something like that. But normally, I'm a teacher, a doctor, a... Uh, a plumber or something like that. Uh, I will dabble in, in national defense if the country's threatened. Switzerland works this way. Parts of the United States have worked this way at points. I think the term was initially coined in Napoleonic France, and I don't want to get too geeky about this, but I already have. So <laughs> The point is citizen developers have day jobs, but they'll use sometimes low-code, no-code tools to build one-off solutions for themselves to get something done. Yeah. Sometimes these take on a life of their own. And if they take on a life of their own and expand beyond one person scratching a personal itch, then we have the potential for a single person somewhere out there to become a one-person shadow IT department. And that can get weird. And in fact, uh, I had written an article uh, a while back and done a, a presentation at a Process Excellence Network event about you need IT's help or 
citizen development without IT involvement is a recipe for disaster. There needs to be some sort of coherent coordination as to what's going on or else you get chaos. But I don't want to discourage people doing innovative things. So citizen development is usually using low-code to build isolated one-off solutions out in the trenches, and it can happen on a widespread basis. Low-code, you know, you know what? Uh, you know, I've worked for multiple low-code companies over the years. More than 50% of the people using low-code tools, they're professional developers. Surveys recently done by Forrester bear this out too. This is not just personal experience. It's people that can code, but as long as they can get their hands on the right tools, they get so much more done and so much less time by using low code. The same motivation that would have you rely on design patterns or application frameworks, that same motivation taken to the next level is a great reason to use low code. All right. So I 100% respect the fact that you are now busting myths. And I want to put it out there like that, that is, that has been like in the marketing world of low code tools, like people have been sold and painted a vision that says, hey, anyone and everyone can be a developer. Anyone and everyone can build useful applications. But you hit two big problems right there. Number one, there's Hey, it's actually not a good idea to just let people build whatever they want because you you called it shadow IT, but the, mm -hmm. I agree. Like you can't have that. The, I remember running a sales organization whenever our sales reps would start building their own sales pitch materials, and then all of a sudden customers would have right. misinformation. They would sign contracts and be like, "What? This isn't what I was promised." But that was the whole point. Was hey, when people go independent, the information control goes down. Okay, so that you hit that one. Then the next one was. My first experience with low code was in the early 2000s when like there were these application builders that gave the promise that, hey, you can just drag and drop your way to like building an iPhone app, or you can do that for a Facebook app or something like that. Mm -hmm. You would try them out and they would always be limiting. So the idea is that, that you can do anything, they'll throw that out the window. And everyone that experienced that learned that, right? Mm -hmm. Then fast forward a decade, people will start saying, hey, low code's here where anyone can develop. But we know that can't really be true because it's true. there's too many scenarios. There's too many scenarios that a person could possibly want to build. So at some level, someone has to be able to code at the source level to change it. Right. So I like the way you framed it, which is like, this is a, these are tools to enable developers to move way faster. They don't replace developers. No, absolutely not. Well, first off, the whole motivation for this is, is twofold. The motivation for low code is to help people build things faster and to radically reuse things that have done before that worked really, really well. In fact, I would say any real development shop of any longevity where you've got developer retention, people have been there for a long time, they wind up creating a library of reusable stuff that they can just rely on. And in fact, they're building their own low code platform. Yeah. We're talking about our pre-written reusable stuff, some of which can not require the use of writing any code whatsoever. Like for example, in WebCon, we will help you build a business process solution. So you can sketch out in broad strokes the states and stages that your application is going to go through. And you can design or format the, the data dictionary that describes what's going to be worked with as you move from step to step to step. Uh, and then map them together to say, during this step, I want to see this stuff on forms. And when we move over here, I want to see these things. And as we move from here to here, well, in this step, I need 
uh, somebody to supply this information and they really don't even need to see this. When it gets over here, the stuff that was entered earlier, that should be read-only. This new stuff should be required. And you keep jumping through hoops and you've got a mighty morphing form that adapts to the workflow context. Because we've done all of that already and we've decided to have a um, paradigm where you model a workflow as a set of stages that you move between, that gives us a lot of room to deal with automatically tweaking the security on the item to fit whoever's been assigned a task during a given step. You don't have to write that. We did it. Uh, we can also adapt the user interface, kind of mentioned that already. We can also audit when you enter and exit a step and keep a copy of what was going on during then. So if you need to prove something happened for compliance purposes, the, the application platform can do that too. A good low-code platform is doing a ton of work for you so you can focus on your application logic and get it done. Yeah. Give us an example of where it's played out in your experience that it's, uh, you know, like you mentioned, significantly helped accelerate a business. Uh, you mentioned before that WebCon specifically works on business process solutions. You know, of course, other applications are usually in the same category. Like that's the problem set that people use low code to solve. But I'd love for our audience to hear like concrete examples because, you know, that's where, that's where people can really start painting the picture. Like, oh, wow, if I had sure. access to this, we could do this faster. How about this? working with somebody right now on a project that involves contract management. Okay. There's a lot of work product that goes into creating a contract, even just simple non-disclosures. You'll have some source documents that need to be looked at. You'll have uh, a desired document that needs to be produced, and there's usually a template for it. You'll need to get that reviewed and collect input from a lot of people, and risks will need to be identified, and mitigation strategies might need to be involved. So I know I've got some document management, but I've got a lot of metadata that needs to be collected. I've got an audit trail that needs to be respected and preserved. And I've got conditional logic that needs to determine who needs to look at something. And if someone changes it, where does it need to return to get follow-up reviews to make sure that everybody's comfortable with the changes? So there's a lot of bouncing around. Yeah. It's not a linear flowchart where do this, do this, if this, then do that. Or you could do that, but you're going to get spaghetti really, really quickly. But by saying, okay, let's treat the work product like a bouncing ball, and we're going to follow it as it moves from step to step. And when it moves from here to here, what are the options? Well, it could go back to the previous step, or it could go out to the uh, counterparty to get their input on something, and then it's going to return. Or it could go on to somebody in our legal department who needs to weigh in on something that isn't boilerplate. I need to follow it as it moves. I need to enumerate options to the person doing the work as to what they can do. Rather than forcing them to jump through hoops, I, we enumerate options and let them decide what happens next. All the while, we've got assets that come with it. We've got people coming with it that play different roles. We enumerate options, we execute paths, we come back to a known state, and then we refactor from there. That's case management. We're really, really good at case management style things. Oh, I'll give you another example. You asked for one, I'll give you two. There is a company in uh, Europe that is in aggressive acquisitions mode. They um, do office furniture, basically. Okay. They enter new countries. They often acquire a company there, make it part of their family. They often don't even bother to rebrand it. Sometimes they do. 
I don't know if you've ever worked for a company that got acquired by someone else. Usually the acquirers, yeah, the acquirers come in and change everything behind the scenes and it causes a, a one year period or more of disruption. They don't believe in that. So what they will do is they'll bring our software in and say, look, if you're using one product versus another for your enterprise resources planning system, don't change it. If you're using this versus that for your customer relationship management, don't change it. But we as a company have these business processes that must be followed. So insert WebCon into the organization and connect it to this particular ERP system versus that one in another place. And as long as you fill out these forms to execute these processes, look, when it's touching the systems of record, it'll touch whatever is correct for the local system and the right things are going to happen. But at the same time, company-wide, the same processes are being followed. The data is being rolled up and reported on in one consistent way. And notice that I'm focusing on the business goals and the process that needs to be accomplished, not so much the tactical stuff like, oh, make this API call to this REST endpoint or uh, grab data in this format from this location or manipulate this spreadsheet or automate the, the filling out of information in this form using a bot or something like that. Those things matter. But those are automated activities that are done in the service of automating a process. All right. So I'm going to use my experience to retell what you just said. And that is such a good use case that it's super simple. I want to explain how awesome this this is actually is. Thank you. I worked for an Oracle consulting company. Mm, uh-huh. This is back in the day when Acco Brands acquired Acco Brands. If you're not for anyone listening, they made the swing line stapler. So they make office products, right? Uh-huh. And they acquired this company called GBC, General Binding Company. It's a huge, massive company, right? And I was part of the conversion of GBC's systems to Acco. It took over two years. What a waste of time. Like we, and this is back in the day, it took over two years of like conversion and training. Yeah. And so something as simple as like, let's go with inventory. How much product do I have in the warehouse? Uh Well, they didn't make them move warehouses, but they did want one system that said, I want to instantly be able to see all the products I have in warehouse. Getting this process developed to move information from system because one was an Oracle shop and one was another ERP shop. So they didn't talk. Yep. I mean, it took so many engineers. I'm talking like it was so many engineers, so many consultants. There was like, there, there was like probably like 40, 50 people on the project, you know, almost two years moving this information. I couldn't believe it. I was on the tail end of it in the training side, but I could see 100%. If I had a toolkit that could instantly just be like, hey, take this inventory record in ERP one and drag it over to ERP2 and just add it together. Mm-hmm. Now ERP2 knows everything that's in ERP1 without anyone having to code anything. That would have saved well, like a year or two of headache. Yeah. Because they continued to maintain two systems. They could have just, and then they built a custom solution on top of it. It was crazy. These guys are not, uh, I'd mentioned their name, but I'm not sure they've given me permission to. So uh, I'm be, <laughs> I wanted to be respectful <laughs> about it. But if you're over in Europe, you've heard of these guys, but the gist of this is, you think less about managing data and more about getting stuff done. Yeah. So onboarding a customer, you would go to a WebCon form for onboarding a customer. If you were doing this with your ERP system or your CRM system, you'd be going to, oh, one entity to do an update here to create a new organization and then another place to create contacts and then 
basically I'm manipulating data. It, there is a process. The process lives in your head or in a, uh, a manual someplace. Well, what if you had a form to fill out that collected all of that and then just put the right things in the right places? Yeah. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about. So creating a quote for somebody that will involve the CRM system, the ERP system and all of that. If we can make your life easier by focusing on the thing you're doing rather than the assets you need to do it, your life becomes easier, which is why the acquired company doesn't mind this. But in the back end, you can keep the assets you're using. We're fine. Maybe at some point down the road, maybe two years later, we do do a cut over to a preferred asset. But the idea is if you're focusing on the process and not on the assets, you're not going to notice and you're not going to care. And that, that's a really good idea. Yeah. When you meet customers, business leaders, CIOs, CEOs, CTOs, whoever's in charge of making these you know, decisions to bring low-code solutions on, what is the general receptiveness? I'm curious because I think that I think for a long time there's been a promise that everyone, you know, this is gonna revolution. Like I mentioned before, like 10 years ago, there were drag and drop builders, like there were business process flow management tools. I mean, they weren't very good, but they were there. Oh, yeah. And so I don't know if like CIOs, CTOs, CEOs, like they, are, they, are they skeptical or do they like, are they more receptive? Like they want to see these solutions because I guess enough of these solutions are now working. Every CIO is skeptical and rightly so. Yeah. Uh, you know, this, is, this is not a new concept. Uh, we call it low code the day. Yeah. He used to call it declarative development or end user computing or, or lots of things. Yeah, it's been around. This low code is a more recent term. The concept's been around for a while. Four GLs or things like that. Yeah, it's not new, but it's gotten better. Yeah. But I, I will say this. Look, every CIO, every IT director, every manager, because everybody has a certain vested interest in IT these days. It's 2022. Digitalization is part of everything and should be. But the motivators for this kind of thing are, are twofold. Thing number one is there's a backlog. You know, demand exceeds supply for business applications. Has for a very, very long time, shows no signs of changing. But anything that can close or at least reduce the app gap is a very, very, very good thing. The second motivator is, and this is more for citizen development and less for low code, because like I said, professional developers use low code quite a lot of the time. But there is a developer disconnect. In other words, the business stakeholder that knows what they want and the developer that's able to produce it have a communication challenge. Now, you can say this is because the business stakeholder has no idea how to describe what they want in actionable terms or has no way to prioritize something that is essential and very, very doable from something that is just a nice to have and incredibly difficult to create. And not knowing that their specifications, because they aren't prioritized or aren't grounded in reality, make something take uh, you know half a year instead of one month. Or it could be the developer that just has no idea how the business runs and makes crazy decisions that causes what it causes is the need for constant negotiation, which frustrates the heck out of everybody. So anything that can be done to help bridge that communication gap, or in the case of citizen development, just abdicate building the application to the person that understands the business problem, there's some attractiveness to that. Those are the motivators for wanting to look at low code, both for professional use and for amateur use. But on the other hand, there is the potential for chaos. 
especially when you talk about citizen development, which is why I think IT needs to play a conductor, a coach, a coordination role when you're talking about a lot of citizen development efforts. They have the keys to the kingdom. They know where everything is. Uh, their, Their job is to curate all of this. But here's the other thing that CIOs are sometimes not necessarily, well, yes, they're justified in caring about it, but the knee-jerk response to avoid vendor Mm lock-in, I hear that a lot. That's a comment that makes a ton of sense when you're talking about, say, a database, or it might make a ton of sense when you're talking about uh, a language or low-level assets or storage or, or things like that. But when you start talking about low code, by definition, we're talking about some of the work having already been done for you and you're reusing it, which means you're going to take a dependency and you just need to be ready to do that. You know, if you write everything with code and your company builds a library of its own reusable stuff, you're still taking dependency on the people that built that library. If they get hit by a bus or get promoted or leave for another company, You've just locked yourself into something that can't be maintained unless your organization has some redundancy built in and you manage people well. You're always taking a dependency is what I'm saying. Be careful about who, what you're taking a dependency from. Choose your dependencies carefully, but there's no avoiding lock-in. Just get locked in with someone you like. <laughs> I like that. That was a good uh, little joke there. Thank you. So one of the things that we always think about is how companies or how markets are going to move. Because low code, as you said, is here. As you know, this show is sponsored by Salesforce, and they did a recent study in among CIOs. Salesforce is an aggressive adopter of low code. That's yeah. right. And they did, in a, they did a survey among CIOs, CTOs in this report called Seven Trends of Reshaping IT. For anyone listening, you can click the link in the show notes to download this report. In it, interestingly, they said that 72% of the people they surveyed indicated that they are going to use low code and it will be a financial priority so that the market's moving this way. Now, what I want to ask you is you got some really good, because we've read some of your articles, pretty good, interesting things. Like one of the things is that on VM blog about how many low code projects will fail. And it's not because yes, platform's not bad, but because organizations are expecting too much of them. So we got conflict. We got a little bit of conflict here, Mike, that we want you to help me understand. Oh, sure. Number one, we have a lot of people wanting to adopt this. Number two, yes. we might be jumping the shark a little bit. It sounds like we, if we adopt it too fast and don't think about what we're building, we're going to have a lot of problems. So one, the trend is there. Two, you're probably going to hit a lot of roadblocks. So how do these companies that are going to make these investments, sounds like they're going to make good investments. How do they maximize their investment? How do we prevent the failures? Don't adopt anything without careful thought. Don't expect (laughs) magic from anything. Here are a couple of warning signs. If somebody says our product is so easy, anyone can use it, run. (laughs) If you're a CIO, you should run. That that, that (laughs) appeal is meant to be for someone that wants to bypass IT. And if you bypass IT, look, I understand that in many organizations, IT is the department of no. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You have an organizational problem to fix if that's the case. And IT has been beaten up a lot over the last decade in particular. A lot of IT departments know that they need to be the department of how. Um, Not all have gotten the message, but you'd be surprised how many have. 
in just the past couple of years uh, during the pandemic, IT has become so essential to facilitating an orchestrated remote work. They've kind of gotten with the program, not everywhere and with considerable variability, but it's not the IT department you and I got used to when we were starting out in the industry. It's different. And when it's not different, it ought to be different and make hiring decisions accordingly, I guess. But um, be careful about who you get involved with. And I'll give you another. uh, The reason why I'm so scared of somebody that says our product's so easy, anyone can use it, is because they're probably only focusing on the construction part of building an application. Yeah. If you build a bad application quickly, you still made something. <laughs> you, made, you made a bad product. <laughs> you can even build a good application, Albert, that is completely unmaintainable. In other words, it's a good application because it makes its user happy, but you can't make a change to it without breaking everything or disrupting the, the business or securing it. You, you basically used it with an environment that by default assumes everybody that can get to it can get to everything. Yeah. As opposed, you know, it's basically, if you're going to do security later on, it's a subtractive model where you start out with uh, everybody being able to do everything. And now you have to figure out how do I take away everything they don't really need, <laughs> as opposed to a low code system or or any system where it's additive, meaning okay, I need to do this. Which permissions do I need? And when I'm done, can those be taken away? I start with nothing. We add what we need temporarily. That's a better way to do it. It makes a lot more people more comfortable, but most low-code systems aren't optimized for that. They aren't designed for auditability. They aren't designed for deployment a lot. You'd be surprised how many low-code systems expect to be used in a production environment. Buddy of mine once said a couple of years ago, if you're developing in a production environment, you don't have a production environment. You're having your people yeah. operate in your dev environment. <laughs> and that that's crazy. <laughs> so low-code development is development. You need to treat it seriously. And development is only 10% of delivery. There's documentation, there's training, there's maintenance, there's change management, there's... Uh, structured deployment, there's security, there's auditing, there's business metrics, there's health and operational monitoring. There are tons of things that people understand if you are a professional developer, especially uh, in a DevOps culture where development and operations are fused and people think about all of this at once. Uh, You know that the actual application assets are just a tiny piece of the puzzle. If you've got a low-code system that doesn't get this, it's going to be a Band-Aid that fixes a few things, but once you start using it for too much, you're going to start chasing chaotic plates that are spinning out of control. Yeah, no question about it. doesn't have to be that way. There are plenty of us that are good at this. WebCon, I I certainly obviously believe, is one of them that cares about being low-code for adults. When I say that, I mean you know about that other 90%. You take care of it. In fact, ideally, you have the platform take care of it, so you still get the low-code benefits of only having to focus on the application logic. For that matter, delivering it the first time is probably only about 10% of its entire life cycle. So having some level of continuity, being able to survive upgrades or being rehomed from one cloud tenant to another or going from on-premises to the cloud or vice versa, or multi-tenant hosted to dedicated, 
a robust application should be able to survive that kind of thing. And not everybody does that. Not even every custom coded application that can gracefully handle that. Yeah. In fact, if you've got a low code environment that pays attention to infrastructure, there's a very good chance that you'll be able to survive all of that stuff because one company that has dealt with that over and over again has a pretty good chance of knowing what's going to go wrong. Yeah. I think your perspective on low code is probably more aligned with what I understand and know. We've met people that say, hey, there's going to be a future where everyone's going to be able to develop applications. I don't know if that's a good thing. I think that's possible, but I don't know if it's a I good thing. I don't even think it's desirable. I don't think it's desirable either. Like I, I've never heard someone <laughs> want a thousand people to make a thousand different things. If you're a graphic artist, do you want to become an application developer? Well, the answer is maybe, I suppose. But uh, or, or if you're handling security for an airport or something to that effect. Do you want to start building a bunch of applications to make your life easier? The answer is maybe, of course, but you know, you have a day job and you might be really good at that day job. Yeah. And do you want to divert your attention? Will your company reward you for doing that? I guess my issue is, look, I am perfectly fine. I, I am as happy with people out in the trenches using low code to build solutions for themselves as I am with them making their own conference calls or typing their own letters, or preparing their own budgets and spreadsheets. All of these things used to require dedicated uh, specialists back in the day. Yeah, yeah. But just because somebody can prepare a budget of their own doesn't mean they're very good at it. We have dedicated finance people for a reason. They know what they're talking about. It requires specialized knowledge. Yeah. Same thing is true of software developments, especially if you're building not just one application, but a whole array of interconnected applications that take some dependencies on each other. That's a specialized area of expertise. Yeah. Look, I think rather than a bypass strategy where I get the easiest tools possible and I hand them out to anyone that wants it, I think we need to work on that communication gap problem. Anything that can reduce the ambiguity between business stakeholders and users and technical professionals, typically IT consultants, what have you, to make these requirements more understandable and actionable and these capabilities more understandable to everybody. That you combine with low code used by professionals. And now you, you've got something. I, I tend to, WebCon calls it, I call it citizen assisted development yeah. or citizen participation as opposed to citizen abdication or IT abdication and citizen bypass. This is why I'm so bullish on IT being involved in this. And yeah, they need to be incentivized to do it, but you really have to do it or your company isn't going to undergo digital transformation because someone said, you've got the right software, now you're digitally transformed. <laughs> or I, I am buying a bunch of stuff for you and now you're, you're in digitized land. It's going to be when you create a culture where people work together to solve problems and apply technology to do it. it it's, it's breaking down barriers and coming up with ways to embrace continuous improvement and knowing how technology can help. It's organizational transformation assisted by digital technology. It's not yeah. digital transformation, it's company transformation. It's going to be very similar to the, the DevOps tools that we now are very much aware of, like HashiCorp, right? Like they're essential. They're part of the toolkit, but they, they still need to be in the right hands of the right people with the right process to implement it because 
Yeah, I mean, no different from you would not allow anyone in the world to script up and launch their own environments whenever they want. Like, it's not quite like that. You know, low code is going to be part of, I think, every developer's toolkit. I don't think it's going to be what some have promised, which is like, hey, everyone in the world is going to develop applications for your business. Like, I don't, I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like everything, if you let go of some things, you get large amounts of benefit. Uh, with most low code environments, they usually have some restrictions on what the user interface can look like. Yeah. Part of that is to get more done so you're making fewer decisions so you can advance more quickly. There are fewer choices that you have to make. And, and as long as those choices that are left don't suck, it's going to be fine. The other reason for it is it makes it easier on users because there's a consistent look and feel to lots of applications so they aren't reinventing the wheel or relearning everything every time. Yeah. I dropped a code, or I believe in dropping the code, when the nature of the application becomes very specific, meaning the application kind of stands alone. The application has very specific requirements. You're not producing it in a factory. You're producing it as a craftsperson. That's when code comes in handy, or when you're building reusable components to be used over and over again. There's plenty of demand for developers to do that. But for other developers and other semi-developers, you got low code that's all about getting stuff done. There you go. Well, Mike, it was awesome having you on our show today, sharing your experience and understanding low code. But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce. Oh, I have heard of this. All right. right. (laughs) The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Mike, this is where we ask you questions outside of the realm of work so our audience can get to know you a little better. All right. You ready? Okay. Okay. You said business process. So where are you from? I am originally from Canada and I've just returned to Canada. I I spent several decades in the United States, worked for Microsoft, worked for a couple of other companies, uh, married, you know, but we have just returned to Canada. So I grew up in uh, Southwestern Ontario. I'm now in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Okay. Now, Nova Scotia, we know of as a very beautiful place. It's gorgeous. Yeah. For anyone who's not been to Nova Scotia, give a quick description of how you describe the landscape. If you're familiar with Boston, Halifax has got a similar climate. It's one fourth the size, and it's also right on the water, lots of harbors. It's an older place, lots of nautical uh, themes and so on. The people here are absolutely fabulous and friendly. If you've ever heard of a Broadway musical called Come From Away, where you had people that right after the 9-11 incident, a lot of planes were grounded. Yeah. And some of them were grounded here in Halifax and also in Gander, Nova Scotia. A lot of things headed to the eastern seaboard of the United States. So people around here basically opened up their homes for all, you know, for these hundreds, if not thousands of stranded travelers and looked after them for the week before the planes were allowed to start moving again. Yeah, that's the culture. Um, <laughs> it's a nice place. It's a small city. It's Big enough to have one of everything, uh, not necessarily more than one of everything, but it also has very little traffic. Yeah. It's an incredibly nice place. Yeah. Was that one of the f- reasons why you l- chose to go back instead of state? Because you said you've been in Seattle for more than a decade. I could have gone back to Ontario. Love Ontario. Family's there. Um, but uh, no, we, we were looking for, we, we like being on the water. We lived in Seattle for many, many yeah. years. Uh, and so- We like being near an ocean. We just switched to the other one. (laughs) Well, Mike, 
Thanks for sharing a little bit about your personal life. Thanks for sharing your experience in low code. You know, it was awesome talking to you, hearing the actual practical use case applications of how companies should adopt low code has been insightful. And I think my gut tells me most CIOs align with your vision too, because I'm not going to say what, you know, there are companies out there, their marketing has made some big promises. I think most CIOs recognize and have experienced enough tools to know that those promises, we're not quite there yet. And I also agree with you when you said, hey, maybe we don't want to be there either. But there is no question that low code is going to help most people work faster. Absolutely. That's why 72% of people are going to be adopting this. I love it. Mike, it was awesome having you on IT Visionaries. It was awesome being had. <laughs> Thanks a lot.